This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We're broadcasting out of Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. It's Wednesday, which means it's chip chat time. Joined by journalist Chip Gibbons. Hey, Chip. Hey, Sam and Sam. It's good to hey. It's good to hear that voice, Chip. It's, uh, it's good to be heard. Always good to be heard. Always good to be heard during times like these. So we are, let's see, um, Joe Biden is going to be president probably in two months, assuming this soft coup fails. I heard Donald Trump won the election and that the election we had was unconstitutional and Rudy Giuliani is going to set it aside. Well, I've heard those things too, and uh, I'm not ready to discount them yet given uh, our our nation's history and the weakness of our institutions and the repeated failures of our media. But there still is a lot of action left in a Trump administration, a lame duck administration. We've seen uh, Trump fire a number of people at the Pentagon, and folks reading tea leaves are suggesting that uh, he might be making some foreign policy moves, and it the the options are from one end of the spectrum trump oh trump's gonna withdraw the troops uh from afghanistan to the other side of the spectrum oh trump's gonna start a war with iran and then we have some uh news about what biden's transition team is gonna look like so we're gonna tackle all of these issues this week on chip chat chip where would you like to start well, I want to start with the thing that's most concerning to me, which is, you know, not, you know, more war in Somalia or you know, less war in Somalia, but the fact that Trump could attack Iran. And, you know, even before the election results came in, one of the things that most terrified me about Donald Trump during the lame duck session would be that he would attack Iran. He's been very aggressive with Iran. He assassinated an Iranian general. He's escalated the sanctions. He's pulled out of the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, the other week after the election, uh, everyone's favorite ghoul, Elliot Abrams, was running around the Middle East for meetings with Iran about Iran. Uh, so that's really very concerning. And then yesterday, or I guess on Monday, we saw in the New York Times this revelation that Trump fairly recently considered a strike against Iran. This would be the second strike against Iran he has considered and backed out of during his tenure in office. Now, just a reminder, in 2007, uh, all 16 U.S. national intelligence agencies issued an intelligence assessment that concluded that Iran had long since halted its nuclear weapons program, and uh, this intelligence has never changed. We recently resumed the nuclear weapons uh, program. Israeli intelligence has also confirmed that. But Iran does have a nuclear energy program, and because of this nuclear energy program, which has been treated as synonymous with building a nuclear bomb by the U.S. political class, by the media, there has been all of this fear-mongering and and saber-rattling towards Iran that was uh, lessened somewhat when Obama signed into the Iran nuclear agreement, which in spite of the fact that Iran was in full compliance with, Trump just blew the whole thing up as part of his hawkish uh, 
approach to Iran and just sort of general uh, divorced attitude from factual reality. And and so now we're in a situation where Iran is increasing the amount of nuclear material it has beyond what the agreement that we left uh, would have limited them to. And, you know, the U.S. being very angry about that. And there was a report in the new in the New York Times. I was at the Nuclear Times, the New York Times that Trump considered to strike and was talked out of it by a number of people, including uh, very surprisingly Pompeo and Pence, who sort of recognized that what he was doing could start a war during his lame duck session, um, which would also indicate perhaps privately that uh, Mike Pompeo is not preparing for a second Trump term, nor is Pence. Uh, and that's just, you know, still a very disturbing prospect because we don't know what he's going to do. And, you know, while I find the prospect of a new hot war with Iran really unsettling, what a lot of people seem to be concerned about are these rumors that Trump is going to withdraw some troops from Afghanistan. I believe the rumor he's going to cut the number of troops in half. He's going to withdraw some troops from Iraq and withdraw nearly all U.S. troops from Somalia. And I, I wonder how many people, you know, even though we have troops in Somalia or could explain what they're doing there, uh, at least with Iraq and Afghanistan, there was some sort of uh, official war-making process that that got us there that we can recall. I have zero fucking clue what we're doing with 700 troops in Somalia, uh, but I'm, I'm sure it's not good. And, and there's just this huge freakout about it. And apparently... This could be why Mark Esper resigned, that he thought this withdrawal was was too soon. There's all these people who are warning us about a premature withdrawal from Afghanistan, which is sort of hilarious because I think there are people fighting the war on both sides of it who were not even alive when, when, when the U.S. launched the war on Afghanistan. And... You know, I'm not I'm you know not a Donald Trump fan. That might surprise longtime listeners of Chip Chat. Uh, but like, if Donald Trump is angry, he lost the election, and as a result, reduces U.S. troop presences in Iraq and Afghanistan, and pulls us out of Somalia, where we've never had any congressional authorization for military action. And I know the U.S. government argues the the broad 2001 AUMF you know, we'll probably justify that action. Uh, I'm not really upset about that. In fact, I think that's probably a really great case scenario because A, both Trump leaves office and B, uh, the U.S. leaves some of its forever wars. But, you know, and there's there's there was a really interesting piece by, by Jeet here in, in The Nation yesterday called The Coup That Succeeded, where he talks about how, you know, the... the attempted coup by Trump is really bad, but there has been this undermining of him by national security officials that, you know, well, Trump is not a sympathetic or a good figure is really alarming, especially with the fact that, like, the U.S. national security establishment basically circumvented Trump's desire to withdraw from Syria by basically lying about the number of troops we have in Syria. And I, you know, don't like Donald Trump. I think he should have been impeached. I hope he goes to jail, you know, all, all those things. But like, it's really disturbing to think that like career bureaucrats who are war hawks 
are undermining a democratically elected president by like lying about the number of troops we have in a country. And that's a really disturbing uh, prospect. And, you know, it, it makes you wonder what would have happened during a, a Bernie Sanders presidency if Sanders was actually committed to reducing U.S. troop withdrawal, which I think he was uh, a little bit more sincere in this issue than Trump was, or a lot more sincere. And it's just it's just a troubling, troubling prospect. Speaking of troubling, the New York Times article, uh, while it said that Trump had ruled out a direct airstrike or direct missile strike on uh, the Iranian nuclear facilities, it did not note that he expressly ruled out a cyber attack. Um, th that, that omission was, I thought, very noteworthy in the section where they talked about Trump ruling out the missile strike because they had just talked about his options, including missile strike and cyber attacks. And they're sort of like, well, the good news is he ruled out the airstrike, moving on. Um, and then another, another thing that Trump hasn't appeared to have ruled out, despite considering the downsizing of uh, the contingency in Iraq, is he hasn't ruled out another strike on Iranian assets on Iraqi soil. Yes. And that's so a, we are we yes. are potentially looking at um, some nasty stuff here in the next few weeks. Yeah, and, and what does it even mean that Trump ruled out an airstrike like this week? I mean, next week he could change his mind. He is not a very consistent person. I, I don't think we're out of the clear on Iran until Trump is out of the White House. And even then, I don't necessarily think we're out of the clear on Iran. And like, you know, the other thing is, is like, you know, someone like Mitch McConnell is totally willing to go along with Trump's absurd claims about the election, but he's actually like breaking with and criticizing Trump over, you know, potentially withdrawing troops from Afghanistan, which is like, so you have all these Republican enablers who enable his worst tendencies and people are like, oh, where's their backbone? Where's their backbone? And the answer is, you know, they actually like what Trump's doing because when Trump starts trying to pull troops out of Afghanistan, Mitch McConnell is totally willing to be vocal about that. Yeah. You know, the one good thing Trump might do. Can't let him do it. Um, I mean, do, I guess there has been, you know, some reporting to suggest this, but like looking back on the last four years of Trump, what do you make of the term that he's been a dove president, as a lot of people argue, or that, you know, he's tried to do these things, but he's been sabotaged every step of the way? I mean, he's given a lot of free reign to the Pentagon. That was by choice. It's not like, you know, the dropping of the Moab was is basically him being like, you guys do whatever you want. I don't care. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've seen drone strikes increase, all that stuff. Yeah, Trump has definitely been a, a militaristic president. He has absolutely increased drone strikes. He's absolutely escalated U.S. air wars. He has completely escalated U.S. regime change operations against Venezuela. He has undone the good things Obama did towards Iran and Cuba, neither of which went far enough. And he has definitely tried to come very close to starting a uh, hot war with um, with Iran 
in spite of all of this talk about Trump being a Russian puppet, he's withdrawn from nuclear weapons treaties with with Russia. He has absolutely uh, given legal aid to uh, groups in Ukraine that I find sort of unsavory and I'm not that excited about. Uh, you know, Obama refused to do so. Trump Trump did so. He's definitely engaging some aggressive military actions uh, around China. So, no, he's not been a dove president at all. I, I think the dove president narrative, I mean, some people try to attribute it to, to people on, on the left. I don't really buy that. I think where it's come from is these sorts of inside the beltway types who are to dislike Trump, who, who do dislike Trump. And, you know, if someone is bad, then the worst thing they can do is be insufficiently um, enthusiastic about the U.S. empire. So they try to cast Trump as damaging national security, right? Like a choice was made with impeachment, first of all, to limit impeachment solely to to the Ukraine issue, which I, I do think was an impeachable offense that Donald Trump tried to get a foreign power to engage in an investigation, whether that investigation was frivolous or meritless, doesn't matter, against a perceived political opponent to give him an advantage in a domestic presidential election. Like, that's a serious democracy. But if you turned on any of the impeachment hearings, what did you hear? The Ukrainians are fighting the Russians over there, so we don't have to fight them here. And my favorite, Adam Schiff, the party of Ronald Reagan would have stood up to Vladimir Putin, you know, Ronald Reagan, the president who perhaps most deserving of impeachment, Congress told him he couldn't give weapons to the Contras, gave weapons to the Contras, like not even considering the fact of like who the Contras were, which was a terrorist group that engaged in attacks on adult literacy centers, healthcare clinics, daycares, et cetera, right? Just as like a purely technical legal matter, like Reagan was probably one of our most uh, impeachable presidents. And you have Adam Schiff, who has, you know, never met an expansion of the surveillance that he didn't love, you know, going, oh, Ronald Reagan would have stood up to Vladimir Putin. And like the entire legitimate impeachment that should have centered around the grave threat Trump posed to our democracy and should have been, been expanded to the emoluments clause and the self-dealing and those sorts of things was just turned into this gross uh, national security spectacle because clearly people have made a choice that the best way to go after Trump is to go after him on his foreign policy from the right. And I, I, I don't think it's various leftists on, on Twitter who may sometimes be unsophisticated in 240 characters that are responsible for the idea of Trump as a dove president, I don't think it's, you know, this sort of sinister red-brown alliance that certain people who somehow get a lot of well-placed bylines uh, keep raving about. I think it very much is the political and media establishment fabricating this claim in order to have a way of attacking Trump without attacking him for any of the meaningful things that he's done. And, you know, that's, that's, that's my interpretation of what's happened. It's not everyone's, but it's mine. Well, that's why we pay you the big bucks to come on and give your yes. interpretation of yes. all this yes, stuff. Yes, it is. Uh, what do you? What do you? What have you learned so far from the team that 
Joe Biden is putting together on sure, uh, I'll foreign. Talk about Biden's transition team briefly. Uh, there's been really good reporting on it from Sarah Lazar over at In These Times and uh, Kevin Gastola, who is the managing editor of Shadowproof. He also has a very good Substack and uh, did a Twitter thread that was shared by Edward Snowden and, and wrote a piece for the Gray Zone, who have both uh, pointed out a lot of interesting things about Biden's transition team. Uh, Sarah, writing over in these times, pointed out that one third of Biden's Pentagon transition team hails from organizations financed by the weapons industry. That's not a good sign. And then Kevin, of course, has called the team as being full of war profiteers, beltway chicken hawks, and corporate consultants. And a particularly concerning figure for me is, is Neil McBride, who is not on the Pentagon transition team, but the Justice Department review team, and is possibly a candidate for attorney general. Uh, he's a former U.S. attorney. He was involved with the WikiLeaks grand jury. He was involved, his office targeted uh, whistleblowers, John Kariakou. John Kariakou was the only person to go to jail for the CIA torture program. He was a whistleblower, told the media about it. And then I, I don't believe he was there when the conviction happened, but his team did target him was Jeffrey Sterling. Jeffrey Sterling was an, was an African-American whistleblower who was accused of giving information to the New York Times about Operation Merlin, which was a, a U.S. operation against Iran. And this guy is the person who threatened to jail James Risen for not revealing his sources about the Operation Merlin story. So this is a really disturbing figure, especially because you know, is the Obama-era war on whistleblowers, which is now a Trump war on whistleblowers, going to continue into the Biden administration? I think a big question is what happens with Assange. You know, I, I think some people hope that maybe Trump, in sort of a fit of rage at his perceived adversaries in the deep state, might pardon Assange or Snowden. I, I hope he does. And same way, I hope he takes the troops out of Afghanistan. That would be great. Uh, but there's also some hope that since the Obama administration declined to prosecute Assange, and we now know also Mueller uh, declined to prosecute Assange, that perhaps Biden will reverse course. I'm not overly optimistic about either potential, but it's worth worth pursuing. And then another fun figure on the um, Biden transition team, I will point out, is Matt Olson, since in addition to having sort of national security positions in the Obama administration, including uh, as NSA general counsel, where he attacked Snowden, made all these inflammatory claims about him, and, you know, also defended the warrantless uh, FBI backdoor sources, has since gone on to work for Uber. So national security bureaucrat to Uber person, uh, real, real range of gauntlet of evil in his career trajectory. So, um, and the other ones are really bad, too. I, I really, really strongly recommend reading Sarah and, and Kevin's reporting. Uh, they've both done different articles, analyzed different parts of the transition team. They've just done a, a phenomenal job of, of doing so. Yeah, I think we, um, <clears throat> we covered uh, or we talked about Sarah's piece on our last uh, episode of Means Morning News. And by her calculation, I think... Uh, she tied a third of all nominees to uh, money from the arms industry. Yeah. Uh, 
a third of all national security uh, transition nominees for Biden. That is, to be clear. I think it was just the Pentagon transition team. Sorry, yeah, and and those aren't nominees. Sorry, let me let me amend that. Those aren't nominees. They they are appointees. They are appointees to the transition team for the Pentagon. For the Pentagon. It is not. Uh, it would not be unprecedented, though, for appointees to the transition team to determine that they themselves would be the best picks for ad- eventual administration roles. Remember right. when uh, George Bush asked Dick Cheney to find a vice president for him, and Dick Cheney That's found right. Dick Cheney. That's exactly what I was thinking about. <laughs> I know you were. I know you were, Sam. I know you were thinking that. Real, real quick, Chip. I know this wasn't on the official roster, but we had discussed this earlier. Uh, Biden coming out and disappointing libs everywhere who are hoping that federal agents might, or, or hoping that uh, Trump might end up in an orange jumpsuit. Biden saying that he's uh, completely uninterested in uh, pursuing prosecutions. He doesn't want to be divisive. What's that? Right. He doesn't want to be divisive, right? Like yeah. Trump claiming the Venezuelan government made fraudulent voting machines and hijacked the election and that he's going to stay in the White House and is like, you know, encouraging people who are claiming Biden is part of a global cabal of pedophiles who smuggle children in furniture boxes via the U.S. Post. Uh, and the Republican Party seems fine to go along with, with Trump's antics, but, you know, well, Joe Biden doesn't want to be divisive by prosecuting someone who just blatantly looted the country and engage, engage in corruption in plain sight uh, for doing any of those things. And I think this is the next four years is going to be Republicans claiming and saying things about Venezuelans and pedophiles with furniture boxes and Biden being like, I'm not going to do any of the things I'm supposed to be doing because it might be divisive. Lindsey Graham is literally has been browbeating secretaries of state in Georgia, Nevada, and uh, one other state. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he, he's literally browbeating them to get them to try to throw out <laughs> votes for Joe Biden. Is that a federal crime? It sounds like one. I mean, this sounds like conspiracy against rights, right? Like, like you know, violation of the Ku Klux Klan Act or, or something. I mean, it, would it well, be? Well, it's, it's good that Joe Biden doesn't want to uh, hold these people to account. <sighs> I know that there are state level investigations of Trump, especially in New York State. Um, but yeah, Joe Biden making the exact same uh, mistake that Obama did looking forward, not backward. I, I mean, and we saw how clear, that played Biden, out. To be clear, I believe Biden has stated he would not overrule the Justice Department if they wanted to prosecute Trump and would not pardon him at that point. But he's not going to actively encourage them to do so or repeal any immunity that Trump gives to people. Um I mean, Eric Holder also was supposedly going to be independent on the torture issue. Uh, we saw how that went. Yeah, we so, ended yeah, up I'm getting not, Gina Haspel a leading in the CIA. And Trump's going to throw her out. And uh, people are angry about that, apparently. Trump the dove. Anti-torture Trump is going to finally uh, clean the CIA of the torturers. If he has some sort of emotional breakdown and decides to like throw out Gina Haspel and 
pull the troops out of Afghanistan and pardon Snowden on his way out the door. Like I said, best of all possible worlds. Trump leaves the White House and, you know, these good things that would never otherwise happen happen. So uh, you show the deep state, Donald Trump. If you're if you're listing Donald Trump, now is your time to teach the deep state a lesson by pulling not half the troops, all the troops out of Afghanistan. Pardon Edward Snowden. Pardon Assange. Just fire Gina Haspel. Get rid of the FBI, maybe even. You you have our approval. Uh, And we won't even ask him to show his work on how he came to those decisions. Chip Chat concludes right now. Chip Gibbons, thanks so much for doing this again. We'll take the week off next week for uh, so you can enjoy your Thanksgiving meal. You got any plans? Um, so I'm a little concerned, obviously, like everyone else with the second spike of COVID. I'm not going to be visiting any extended family. I may join with my uh, older parents, just the three of us, if I can. Get... I, was, I was more interested in what sort of food you're planning because well, you know, I'm we pescatarian, a... so I don't I don't eat any turkey. You can eat a dang fish. I might eat a fish on Thanksgiving sometimes. Sometimes I do, yes, because I am I am pescatarian, so I will eat a fish. Okay. I keep fantasizing about cooking mussels, which I, I've never done. I briefly came up with this terrible idea that I did not do of buying a special pot to cook mussels outside mm-hmm. over an open fire in the park. Uh, which would have been a disastrous idea, but it seems like a you have a fire pit, Sam Knight. That's right. I do have a fire pit. You could be cooking. I don't think you eat seafood, do you? No, I don't, unfortunately. Otherwise, you could be cooking mussels in a giant pot over an open fire with some white wine and cream sauce. Yeah, that's that's good shit. Uh, I, anytime I go to a French restaurant, I usually uh, check out the mussels. Yes, yeah, since I that sounds good in theory to me, but I'm sure I would try it, and it would just taste like seawater to me. <laughs> since I am pescatarian, I, I usually do. I oftentimes do vegetarian options, right? Since I don't have to eat fish, but if I go to a French restaurant, which I don't think I've actually been to one, like that is one of the few items on the menu I, I can eat, and it's always a treat. I had mussels when I was in Montreal for my birthday last year. I could not return to Montreal for my birthday this year because global pandemic. Mm, yeah. Well, but I did a delicious meal of mussels, which is what inspired me to think about cooking them myself. And I was looking into like mussel pots and it's like, this one can go over an open fire. And I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> well, good luck with that, Chip. We'll talk to you in December. We will. <laughs>